This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. I've got the best golf advice. Next time you go golfing, make sure you bring an extra pair of shorts because you might just get a hole in one. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. It is episode 128. I'm your host, Ben Cloy, and it is Monday. It is your official kickoff to the week. And if you loved that dad joke, thank you to Dylan Cloy, my son, who came up with me and told me it a few days ago, and I was like, boom, this is going to be a perfect dad joke for this episode. We are coming live from headquarters here at Military Veteran Dead Plaza, and we are bringing you episode 128 with Nate Riggs. Nate is a 10-year helicopter crewman. He's had two deployments. He's got two marriages under his belt. He's got two young kids. And his story about how he ended up where he is and how the whole theme of where his life has come from and where it's gone is something that we really need to hear to really understand that our past doesn't always have to be something we run from. It can be something that gives us a view of maybe where we really want to go in life, and we look for the people in our past to help understand those words of wisdom that they were always giving us that we didn't always know where they went. So without further ado, let's get started with Nate Riggs, and I will be back with you on the other side for my big takeaway. Welcome to the podcast, Nate. Hey, how you doing? This episode is going to be another good one because this episode, we're going to dive into some of the ways that you can transition out in the unconventional way but in the expanded freedom zone of creating more personal time and location freedom within your life. So Nate, tell us a bit about your military experience and a little bit, tell us a bit about where you are today in your life. Okay, super cool. So military, um, I did 10 years in the United States Navy. I actually served as a helicopter search and rescue swimmer. We did a, it was a multi-role helicopter. So we did a lot of other jobs, um, including running uh, radar and also anti-submarine warfare and then helicopter door gunner. And you were able to kind of... Um, you know, kind of pick which one you were good at and kind of harness that, which was cool. Today I'm doing real estate. I actually um, was doing real estate in the past pre-Navy, ended up in the Navy because of circumstances and then um, overlapped at the end, about 18 month overlap. And now I've been about a year and a half outside the Navy uh, moving forward. So that's a little bit about me, just kind of where I come from there. Um, kind of just applying all the lessons learned from the Navy that I could take from them, from that career and applying them to life in real estate. I've got a blended family. So we've got a six-year-old daughter and then we've also got a year and a half old son and a newborn, like like 10-day-old 
son. So actually, I maybe mean, he's like three weeks today. It goes fast, uh, even in the early days. So yeah, super yeah, those busy. early days when they're like the size of a football, and you're oh like, oh my god, this lasts at least for a month, and then you're like, no, it it doesn't. And yep, yeah, you're yep. definitely in that what I call the instapot phase of parenting, where it always feels like life is under pressure, and that moment you can just come up for breath, and then you got to go back under and figure out how to keep it going. So fast, so fast. So yeah, my wife and them are inside. Um, she's helped me a lot with uh, a lot of the admin side, paperwork side. So we work really well together. That allows us to kind of have the freedom just to get up and go. If we don't have something going, uh, both of us can go. The, I, I urged her to take some time off. Uh, at first, she was reluctant, wouldn't take some time off. And then it was about a week after he was born. She's like, all right, I'll take some time off. So we've been kind of picking up the slack and uh, holding it all together. Just me. So. So the one thing I want to go to right away is your initial mindset. You said you were a realtor or work in real estate before joining the Navy. The idea of being a realtor or even the idea of real estate, I think everybody knows about it, even in the last like 20 years because of HGTV and their shows that they've pitched all these amazing lifestyles and all these amazing careers of renoing houses and all these different things. But it's still not common knowledge and it's also not common permission for people to go do that stuff. Like a lot of that stuff is people like that can do things like that, but I am not one of those kind of people. So I'm wondering what came into your life early on that allowed you to get permission to be like, I'm going to go do this kind of thing. That's a good question. Like, how did I, how did I even get into real estate? Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I, I could point to a number of different things, but I grew up in a town called Sebastian, Florida. Um, that's where I was born. It is a it is a small town, small fishing town. So I grew up on my grandpa's like fishing boat. And at the time we had a, like I didn't go to daycare. I was on the front of like a John boat. Right. And, um, we also had a flower shop at the time. My parents had the flower shop. So, um, what was unique about grandpa Orvis's place was he, um, he was a world war II vet. Um, so instilled a lot of that in me, but he lived in a place called the Sportsman's Marina and Lodge. And he came back from World War II and he built the Sportsman's Marina and Lodge. Uh, had a bunch of efficiency hotels, had kind of like the bar in the middle, had the dock, had all the boats, and it was just fishing all day. And when it was wintertime, he was up in Alaska, salmon hunting, kind of all that. Very nature, very um, outdoorsy. And so there was a little bit of real estate there, right? A little bit of commercial kind of bringing it. At the same time, my grandma, Elsie, who actually, in all respect, was uh, Orvis's girlfriend. They were He wasn't my real grandpa, but that's who I spent time with. Um, she had developed townhomes and uh, different apartments and bed and breakfast and all that. So I kind of grew up in it, I guess you could say. Uh, and then aside from that, the business perspective, they also managed things like, you know, at any given day, we'd be going to a coin laundry place to do some repairs on the uh, equipment there and collect the coins, or we'd be putting sodas in a soda machine at one of the apartment complexes. So very, you know, there was no, no nobody worked a nine to five in my family. It was just like, okay, we're just going to do these jobs. Um, so it kind of instilled that, like, I didn't want a nine to five to begin with. Also, it was this thing that I knew, like, and I flirted with different ideas. Like, do I, I like to draw? So when I was younger, I was like, do I want to be an architect or do I want to be, you know, which realm do I want to go? So fast forward, probably to high school, I'm coming to the end of high school and I'm like, what do I want to do? And I'm like, I just want to do real estate. I, and, and real estate was like booming at that time, right? Like early 2000s before the great recession. Um, excuse me. So we, 
I went to UNF in Jacksonville. I left Tampa at this time. I was going to school in Tampa, graduated school, went to UNF for real estate degree. I found out you don't need a four-year degree. You just need a certificate to get your license. You can get out the door. So I'm like, well, here we go. And, um, you know, so I got my certificate, went back home to Tampa, started doing, you know, I sold uh, a few homes right away. I sold a, um, you know, waterfront condo at the time, boats out back. So I was still always in that environment that I, that I grew up and loved and wanted to be a part of. What I hear in that is you essentially had this massive billboard that was right in front of you from the very beginning that life isn't always the way that you perceive it to and that there's more ways to be happy. And like you had that so close to you. And then even a deeper lesson that I hear within that story is you had an early money story that money is an issue to you, that it's actually something you can create. I mean, even just when you were telling the story about the vending machines, as a little kid watching your whoever take that money out of the machine and knowing that like that money was put in there and he's taking it out and that wasn't come from a paycheck. Like I can only imagine how those seeds have like just grew into who you are today because so many times where we adopt what we're doing in life or what we're going to do when we grow up, it's based on how did you learn where money came from? Is it issued to you? Does it come out of nowhere? Is it abundant to you? Do you understand that it can be abundant and that there's no limited amount of money? It's just your ability to create wealth and to understand how to achieve that? Or was it that no matter how much you work, like for me, I grew up on a farm, so I saw it as the amount of work you put in does not equate to the amount of money you earn because you're tied to the market, you're tied to the weather. And it was always kind of a victim to what money you could earn that year. And you never knew if it was going to be the year you needed to have every dollar saved or every dollar spent. And that shaped how I saw my future. And I mean, man, you were really set up for success from an early age. And I can see as a dad now, you, I don't know whether you've given thought to this, but helping your kids understand that early money language, because how they understand early on will shape how they see where they fit into the world just as much as them understanding where they want to go to school. Yeah, it's huge. And like, and talking about being a dad and you're right. And, and like, maybe I kind of got lucky and like fell into that. And uh, shout out to my dad too, who like also didn't really have a nine to five. Uh, my dad was a pastor. And so, you know, his greatest job was like caring for people and, and building great relationships with people. And then his like Monday through Friday kind of open, right? Different counselings, doing weddings, doing funerals. Again, a lot like that's what world I grew up in. So, so much like personal relationship mirrored with, you know, business and real estate all together. Two perfect combinations that allow you to be a successful, respectable businessman. <laughs> yeah, right. So the, the crazy thing is now we've got kids and I'm like, I try to take my daughter out on the boat and she's like, I don't want to go on the boat. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, like that was a huge part of my life. How do, and I don't want to make them like the same things or do the same things as me. But like you said, maybe I had this big billboard of like, this is what it's about. And I'm trying to create that same thing through them. But, you know, we don't, it, because of the military, right? We live in a different town now than we don't have grandma and grandpa. There's no dropping them off. So I don't have those same influences in their life, right? They see them once every month or so, maybe way less than I did, um, which is kind of unfortunate. And my wife was in the military and her family lives up in Illinois, even further away. So we're trying to kind of duplicate these lessons and these values and, and showing them is a big part. Um, you can tell kids all you want. But one thing my dad used to say, like, I didn't really have a lot of rules. It was maybe a no rules, but consequences like 
you could stay out as late as you want. If you got in trouble while you were out late, then you wouldn't be allowed to stay out so late, right? It's kind of that setup. And my dad told me one time, I don't remember how old I was, but he was like, look, by the time you get 16, you're going to have a car. You're going to do whatever you want when you're out of my sight anyway. So like, I'm not going to make you do this. I'm just going to live an example. And it's up to you whether you're going to choose to be the person, you know what I mean? That's uh, essentially what he was doing is what's called what I've learned in parenting now is you're not responsible for your kids, but you have responsibility to them and you're not raising kids, you're raising adults and you should always try to create every life experience, especially in those teenage years of how will they handle this as an adult and how can you use this safe time when they when you still have you to fall back on to yeah. learn how to act more and more like an adult. And your dad brought it up in a perfect way. Like if you don't, you're going to have a real life consequence that you're, you're going to not be able to stay out. Like I trust you right up until I don't. And that's <laughs> often how adult relationships work is I trust you right up until you screw me. And yeah. when you're going back to that boat analogy, something that I often find with dads is because especially the military is we're always so direct in our thinking and the way we like logically come to conclusions like, yeah, a boat would be fun. Why wouldn't a kid go out on a yeah. boat? But oftentimes it's our language and how we're trying to fit it into a box. And a couple of hacks that I've learned to really get my kids more excited about things that I like that I know they initially don't is one, I always tag the word adventure on the end of it. And then I always try to take something that they do like currently and expand it a little bit with something that I like. So then taking something like on the boat, but figuring out something that your daughter does like adding the word adventure to it and just using the boat as a tool to create that memory that is really anchored in what she likes to do, but you secretly know yeah. you have an agenda to give her a wider view of what she could do with that smaller idea. Cause that I mean, the coolest part about being a dad is you can jump into like this really small idea or that your kids have and just expand it. It's like they start with a small yeah. fort in the living room and you jump in as a dad and the next thing you know, you got five layers and you got a garage and you got everything within there. And that's ultimately what kind of goes in those to those ideas when you have them. Like they start out black and white. And as a dad, you can really help color them in and make them more. But adventure is probably the best way to get them excited. I don't know what it is about that word. I mean, I tagged it on the end of a scooter. Yeah. And we call them scooter adventures, which is just riding on a paved sidewalk. And like, it's the, you think I took them to Disney World. Like it's literally they go around the house getting excited. Like dad said we were going on a scooter adventure. Get ready. Like that's it's. It's just a that's, scooter adventure with Razor scooters. Like, there's nothing magical about it. That's a great tip. That's that's actually a really good tip. Yeah, relating it to stuff they like, you know. And you're right. So, for or example, if you, does your daughter like Barbies? You know, uh, or any dolls? She's you into horses, little horse dolls, and stuff. Animals, horse dolls, that kind of stuff. Right? You so. could easily create a cruise type memory. Yeah. Like, hey, let's let's go on a cruise for your stuffed animals or something. Even like uh, penguins in Madagascar. Or uh, Escape to Madagascar, where they fly in a plane. It's a bunch of animals that talk to each other. They're trying, like, you could really go all into her world and use the boat as a tool to, I mean, like, if she was into Barbies, I could easily see, like, hey, let's take the Barbies for their cruise around the lake like they do in the movies on Netflix. Like, this is the world they live in, and you could, like, let the boat be that. Let's take the Barbies for a cruise around the lake and see if Ken likes it. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to give that a try. Definitely the animals. And down here in Florida, we're blessed because we have a ton of wildlife. And we do a lot here to kind of preserve that. And you get out. And that's part of why, you know, why I like it, getting out into nature. So, um, yeah, man, having kids is awesome. The biggest thing, you know, part of that, and we may get into it, part of that transition from being active duty to, like, separated from the Navy was really, like, you go on an eight-month deployment during your kids, like, the first year of your kid's life. I mean, that is you've missed 
the whole life so far, right? It's like a microwave of them growing up when you come back. Yeah. You're like, whoa, what the heck happened? It's like yeah, they, so... they drink the ooze from Ninja Turtles and all of a sudden they've got all these superpowers that they didn't have when they left. That's right. So I kind of, and like I said, you know, I was into this real estate world. Um, the recession happened. So as a 20-year-old kid, you know, you're 20, 21, 22 now or something. Uh, that recession happened, 2008, nine time period. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, everybody's leaving different jobs. Even my mom and dad kind of like shifted to, um, they were going on the road in like an RV for like a book tour kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pack up and get in this bus with mom and dad, or it's time for me to figure it out. Right. So it's either time to grow up or like just ride around America feeling sorry for myself. Right. And I think like the Navy had some slogan, like accelerate your life or jumpstart your career. One of those. Um, and it seemed, and thinker. yeah, something, it seemed more like career based than, you know, what, okay. When I was in high school, I mean, you had the Afghan and Iraq wars and like, I've always been kind of patriotic. And so when I was in high school, I was like, I'm going, I'm going right away. And, um, I don't know why I didn't, I just kind of moved towards the college route, was able to do that. Plus the economy was booming. You know, that's how it is. Uh, military retention and, and joining is always lower when the economy's at its peak, right? They kind of are alternating. And sure enough, when it dipped, I was like, right, I'm going to do this. And by that time, it was more about like, which programs offer a bonus? Which ones are more like something I would enjoy? What would I do? So um, another passion of ours was aviation. And then of course, um, I growing up in Florida, I don't remember not knowing how to swim. My kids don't remember not how to swim. I taught at two years old, they, they know how to swim uh, in my household. So, uh, that's huge to me. I like, I don't have neighbors across the street. I have water across the street. You know, we have pools in the community. People have like, it's just a safety thing, right? Like, uh, I'm not going to let my kids not know how to swim as soon as they have the muscle ability to do so. Even our one-year-old, one and a half years old, I'm working with him. He floats. Like I put him in the tub. He floats in the tub. I take him down to the pool yesterday. I have him floating in the pool. Um, if nothing else, kind of like survival skills where if he was able to fall in, he could probably float, reach out to the edge. Another thing is just staying calm, right? Like, I guess I've had enough training that I know, um, you know, kind of where the boundaries are and where the like, okay, where the danger zone is. I, like, like, for example, if your kid falls in the pool and you freak out and you're over there and you panic as a parent, now what do you think? Your, what is your kid like viewing? What are they learning from you? Where like, if you just calmly go over there, scoop them up, maybe kind of laugh it off. Like they're okay. Like a kid can fall in the pool and you can grab them up and they're fine. If you leave them under there for four minutes, like we have a problem. Right. But like if you're at someone's house party and the kid falls in, I've seen it happen multiple times and people freak out. And in my mind, I'm like, no, do not freak out. All you're doing is teaching your kid to be afraid and you're not actually like solving the problem, you know? Um, so that was huge. Um, so we're working with him with floating stuff. So I had all that and that's what led me to that rescue swimmer program. Cause I knew it was a guarantee. Right. I think at the time it came with like a bonus, there were other programs and I didn't want to just be, you know, I was able to score high enough. I wasn't going to just go in like needs of the Navy. I was going to, I was going to go, I was going to pick my job. So I want to ask a different question because you sounded like you were pretty sure yourself going into the Navy and it might've been more of an opportunity just to buy some time probably would be like, let's just wait it out. And this will be a good place to learn some skills. What did the Navy give you as far as like a skill mindset or even a perspective that you really didn't see coming, but you can't imagine living out without now? Yeah. So, um, I was quiet, I guess I was always quieter, uh, maybe confidence issues. So again, 
growing up just with your grandparents and mom and dad, you don't, maybe I didn't develop as many social skills. I was maybe smaller, maybe got picked on in elementary school or something. In fact, I did. I don't know what the reason is. I just know that it happened. <clears throat> I didn't really come out of that shell till I got in this program and you can talk alpha males and all this stuff. But like when you go to a rescue swimmer program and you class up with 25 guys and only six people graduate like you're not graduating unless you're you've got something that somebody else doesn't right yeah you have um, to actually like be someone like that yeah i see i hear what you're saying right so it kind of drew that out of me it grew out drew out like an aggression a lot of times the word aggression is uh kind of frowned upon i don't i don't think of it as like a, a frowned upon thing in fact when i go to listing appointments when i do consultations and sit down with people a lot of people say they they wanted me to do the job because of how aggressive i am Again, this is somebody's house, $300,000, $700,000 that they borrowed that money from the bank and they want to sell and they want to make money and they want to capitalize on their investment. They want someone aggressive handling that sale, right? So I take those values with me and I view it very seriously. There are a lot of people who the barrier for entry, like we talked about earlier, is easy for real estate. So there's a lot of people who don't hold that same standard. I hold that standard. I view it almost like financial advisor more than like your friend that's showing you houses. And like you touched on the TV series, they're all built around the emotions and the the giddy, happy, like, let me show you. Shiplap all everywhere. Yeah, let me show you this. And yeah, right. Like all the pictures and stuff. And what I see when I see a house is like, you just borrowed $300,000 from the bank and promised to pay them back. And the liability is this house, right? And like, is it worth it? Can you get out of it? Can you capitalize on it? Are you able to make this house a home where you're, you know, um, turn around and can in five years, can you buy another house as you saved money and invested money and were smart with your finances? Can you turn around and buy another house and then rent this house out? Like those are all things I'm looking at and bringing to the table with customers. Yeah. Like what kind of house do you need to buy at a 15 year mortgage that you can pay off quickly and then have it paid off and then just be able to bank that more or that rent payment from the other house into your next mortgage and then even lower your ability to have to pay the mortgage and get a bigger house from it as well. Right. And so and a big part of me doing these podcasts, especially like the ones that touch on military, like when I went to boot camp, they they come in boot camp and they hand out credit cards, but they don't teach you like, hey, you should buy like what if a year one of the Navy like you could get a like a lot of people don't know this. You're one, like if you start out and I know everybody has different circumstances, how they get there, they might have a little debt to begin with or something, or some people are older, but the average person that's like 18 years old out of high school goes in the military, right? Within one year, they could be a homeowner. They, they have the WT, they're going to get approved by home. If, if people actually taught them that, what if you took from these other programs, like, uh, you know, there's all kinds, whether it's bigger pockets or Dave Ramsey or these other, um, financial things. And what if they taught those lessons in the military? And I did a 10 year Navy and a career in the Navy. I should have left the Navy with 10 investment houses that I only owed 10 more years on total and would be set. Or if you stayed and you did a 20 year career, imagine if you followed one of those programs that allows you to buy multiple income properties and then turn around and pay them off. So by the time you're retiring from the military, you're also collecting on your investments, you know, and I try to share that information with people like, and I made the same mistakes, like got divorced, had a Dodge Charger, had all the fun stuff. And then I was like, oh, crap, I got to figure this out, you know, and if it just wasn't taught to us. And the part that I, I kick myself because I sat in Okinawa for three years ma making cola, making all the different extra money. 
and the heart, like just realizing I had three years and all I did was play Xbox. And it, what I also really regret about that time is you have the largest safety net in the United States within any social demographic in the military. You could be dead broke. You could lose your ass on any investment, still have three squares a day and still have a roof over yeah. and still have a place to go work. Yeah. And like, I never like had that mindset of like the risk proportion that you can accept while serving as well, especially if you're single, like your ability to do more with that risk and understanding what that true safety net is like that gave, I would have, I would kill to go back. I mean, as complicated as now trying to grow a business while being a dad and having three young kids, man, do I relish that time when I just sat in Okinawa doing nothing. And you got disposable income, which is also the hardest part because most of these kids never had money. And then you also, they don't really know or don't have any reason to spend it on something to keep them alive because the military takes care of yeah. that part that they just end up blowing it on a bunch of things. The next thing you know, four years goes by and they didn't even know they should be investing in their TSP, which is like one of the lowest considerations of, do you care about your financial future? Yeah. And most people in the military still don't take advantage of something as simple and, as that. And part of that is like, like I wasn't a fast decision maker. So when, like by the time I went in the Navy, I was like 22 or 24 or something. I don't remember. But it was like, they come in and they're like, do you want a TSP or not? Uh, it's good. Sign up for it. And me, more like a skeptical mindset was like, nah, you know, that's not enough information for me to lock up money till I'm 65. That didn't make enough sense. Right. So, again, that education process. But I, you know, I look at there's pros and cons of anything. And I look at the, the pros of it going back to that initial kind of question. You know, what would I take? What did I apply that to real estate? Um, also, it was a physically fit job. Right. It was uh, fitness was a big part of that uh really uh rescue swimmer life we kept ourselves to a higher standard um and i take i apply that now to me as let's walk into the dad world you know we've got three kids i've got our own business that we're running we we've hired employees now we have assistants and other things and that's um that's a lot right so I lost for a little bit that gym time it just it wasn't a guarantee it was part of my job right Every two, three hours a day, we're in the gym on base as part of my like schedule of being there every single day. It was part of survival. Like if you didn't do it, you could drop yeah, yeah. in the places you were dropped in. Right. Absolutely. So um, now that you're out, you don't have to do it. So I kind of lost it. So just recently, I kind of reactivated gym membership. Oh, well, I guess it's not just recently. I was in pretty good shape until this COVID stuff. And then they shut everything down. And I got bumper plates and stuff at home. But, you know, you're just not it's just not as it's just not as regular. Um, now that I'm back like five days a week, plus like a, a bumper plate workout on Saturday at the house, it's like so much more energy to play with your kids. So much more energy oh, yeah. to like love your wife. So much more like it just, it does something for you. Um, so one of the big things I got is, and I'm kind of, this is something I've known for a while. And I'm not a big like slogan or acronym guy, but it was kind of like, uh, I think there was a church or something. It was faith, family, fitness, finances. It was kind of like those four things. And I'm not just here to, you can, whatever your faith is or whatever your meditation is, basically, it's just like you need to work on yourself, your, your family, your fitness, and your finances. And it's kind of like if you are able to pour into all of those categories, you'll be, you know what I mean? It'll work out to where when your kids are grown, you'll be able to look back and be like, yeah, I did a good job. You know what I mean? And it's also when you, I've, cause 
I would say I fell or I more is more rewiring my mindset for being a stay at home dad, because in my world, from the moment I graduated high school, right up until January 2020, I had somewhere to be that was out of my control. And so after that, I, I was on my own, like I'm the only one that suffers if I don't get my ass out of bed. And that was a 20 year old habit. And trying to rewire that and like drag yourself out of that depression, like you're only you're the only one responsible for making success out of it today. And it really came around almost like on the other side of the year anniversary, I was able to just kind of get more spring in my step, more umph, and like, okay, you've mourned for a year, that whole time frame is kind of gone, it's time to keep going. And but it's that what I'm leading towards is you can't give something to your family if you don't have it yourself. Yeah. And if you don't feel strengthful, if you don't feel confident, if you don't feel like you've invested in yourself, you're only giving from an empty well and whatever you're giving is scraps and it's not really your best self. And so like do it, going to the gym and serving yourself isn't a selfish exercise. It's a selfless yeah. exercise. And when you do that, like, you, I mean, it sounds backwards and most men have it backwards. But when you do invest in yourself, like in the last four months, I've been going to the gym seven days a week now. Yeah. And I feel like I'm in the best spot of my life. I still have room to grow. I still have a body that still needs work. But man, the energy that I have knowing that I've made that many consistent deposits in my life for the future, like it's it's a, it's a really crazy, incredible feeling. And I mean, I'm 36 now and I'm probably not in the best shape I've ever been, but I'm as happy as I've ever been yeah. because of what I've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And too, and you want to, right. And you want to be healthy and you want to see your kids grow and you want to see your grandkids and, and, and hopefully their kids. Uh, and that's part of, you know, that's a, it's a, another mission of my wife and me is to, is to leave a legacy. And, you know, I know there's some, unfortunately in society today and, uh, and believe it or not, even in some like religious society, this idea of like legacy is almost frowned upon, but we believe it that, hey, I need to leave my kids something that they can pick up on. So what I what I do want to touch on um, was kind of this, and I, I equate it mostly to the middle class. Um, it might be unfair to do that, but I don't know how else to label it. But this idea, and, and a lot of military guys, I guess this is where I kind of like, I witnessed it. A lot of military guys, or maybe they were like third generation enlisted military, uh, doing the same job that their dad did. And they plan on their kid like, they're like, well, I'm teaching my kid all the lessons now, but when they turn 18, I'm going to send them out on the world and it's, it's there. They can figure it out. And that figure it out word was the one that really like, ah, it really stung me where I was like, I, my kids aren't going to figure it out. At, like, I don't want to, to just like teach my kids and then send them out in the world. I want to be a part of it. Not like a hovering, but I want them to almost take over where I left off versus starting over. I don't want my kids to start over. And that doesn't mean they have to do the same job as me. That just means the life lessons um, are there to where like they don't make the same mistakes I made. See, a lot of people think like, oh, I got to send my kids out, let them make the same mistakes I made. And then they, they'll they learn from it and grow. But then it's just a cycle that goes over and over and over again. And my mission is kind of to break that cycle. Like, And I do want to have a job, a company, a business multiple businesses at the time that they are able to like, if they want to fit into one, they will, or that the desire is there for them to start their own and to grow. Um, which I know sounds kind of like starting over, but if my kids were able to start their own, I would invest in their life still. Right. Um, and so that's a big thing to me that came like when I was growing up, everybody had a pool in the backyard. Right. 
and it didn't matter if it was a small house or a big house and we lived in Tampa and that was kind of a thing. We all had pools and or let's back up even further. There was a time in the mid 90s, you know, and, and just because I grew up in this business world, we didn't have like you said, we didn't have a ton of money. So in the mid 90s, like we went from like standing in the food stamp line, right to like early 2000s, like we have a pool and a hot tub and camper and other things. So what did my dad do? Like my dad figured it out. Right. And he worked hard and they got us there. He also had his real estate license, too. So he did kind of like two different things. Um, so they kind of figured it out. Right. But then there I am. I leave the house. And then years later, I'm sitting and staring at my backyard with no pool in it. And I'm like, why don't I have a pool in my yard? Like now I have young kids. No, like, and so I envision me just doing the same thing. Oh, I'm progressing and I'm doing the same thing as my dad. And like, that's where I kind of had that like light bulb where like, I don't want my kids to start over and have to like, just start from scratch. I want them to pick up where I left off, or I want to be able to walk side by side with them on their journey and invest in them so that three, four generations later, either our generational wealth or our outlook on life is so much more improved, not just in the same spot. I love what you said. And so like, this is one of the reasons why I love this podcast and why I focus on it and why I picked it as my first podcast because military dads lived a rich life, not within money, but in experiences. And even one that's had three generations of military service, that's a rich life. They've seen the world, they've seen culture, and most Americans never leave the country to even understand what it's like outside, but yet somehow we have the world view. And most military kids, most military dads have that world view of what it's really like on the outside. And if we can come home to our family and teach them to that to our kids, we can give them the capacity to understand the world in a deeper way that most kids don't have the understanding of. And I've really equated this idea as like we often like someone that could get also in a trap is I want my kids to have a better life than I did. So we always just keep adding to it and we always keep buying more. But I've reframed that because I didn't really like it. And I felt like it was just this American trap of more. But the next Apple Watch ain't going to make you happy. You got to find it on the inside. And so I realized I don't want my kids to have a better life. I want my kids to have a more capable life. And capability comes from teaching, experiences. And as a dad, my primary role is to make sure they have a wide enough view of the American dream to understand where they fit into it, help them give the oxygen and encouragement where they need to have that, like someone believe in them, they can do it. And if, if they can have the courage to go out there and do what they want to do, like that's, I mean, to me, that's the success. Like if they have the courage to wake up and like change the world, like that's when I'm success because they, I've been preaching that to them. Like, yeah, you can go out there and do it if you know where you fit in and you can go out there and do it. And that's the legacy. And you're not measuring it in decades or even in your life. It's something that can be generational. Like one single dad coming home can change the family tree forever because maybe you've broken the generate the cycle of generational poverty or even psychological trauma that's passed down of one dad yelling at his kid, yell, passing it down. And then that dad yelling at his kid, like you choosing to not be a yeller could change your family tree forever. And it's, it doesn't have to be big, but your mindset is right on the money because that is often where military dads get stuck is we spend all of our time focusing on the legacy of our service and we need to switch it to our legacy of our family. But that takes intention. That takes focus. It takes an actual switch in what's important. And just understanding that as a dad, our biggest role is to just help our kids understand how they fit into the world. And we can do that because we've lived rich lives. We have great stories to use as teaching tools. And that's where that capability comes in. And you're always there. And you're just in different phases. Like I've heard it said, there's a four C's of, of parenting. 
The first one is coaching from zero to 18. Then you move into the counselor phase for the next three years. And then you're in the consultant stage. And then at 35, you're in the colleague stage when they have kids. And you're always continuing to be a part of their life, helping them in these different seasons, but you're still helping them be an adult in some cases. And as long as you're there, you're always going to play a role and your role just keeps continuing to change. And that's to me, like how you create that generational impact is you, you can pass on the ability for a kid to go out in the world and thinking can change it. And if you pass that on from one kid to the next, I mean, that's how you start creating a ripple that actually does create something that people remember. And that would be, I mean, that would be awesome. That would lead you, you know, you may not even be around to see like the final results, man. It's like, it's all gone. So, and you know, to uh, that last bit you said, I've always said that about my parents. I'm like, man, my parents have transitioned so good into, uh, you know, from that like teaching and instructing into like the guidance and like advocate role, you know? I mean, your dad would be perfect on that, especially the way he was even just raising you as a teenager. It made perfect sense that he's like, I'm always going to be hands off, but I'm always going to be here in just a different. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to tell you, man, we almost we talk on the phone almost every day, probably almost every day. Talk on the phone at least like if if he's driving to or from an office, he's like calling me or me vice versa. You know, sometimes we're too busy to talk. But um, and I love that we have that. Sometimes I'm like. Oh, am I just calling out a habit or don't want it? You know, and they're not close by. You'd like to see them. Now they do come. And and my family also has a thing. And my mom will say, she's like, yeah, three days is the limit. You want to stay with each other? It's three days. And then usually by day two, they're like, you know, we're going to pack up and head home early. And we're like, all right, thanks for coming. We'll see it. You know, so like <laughs> nobody's overstaying their while because you're right. You, you grow and it's like, okay, you have your own house and your own. We do things differently. And what I, I'm even able to talk to them about like, hey, you know, my mom will even say it. she's like, we all do things that like our parents all did things that we didn't want to do. And like we have to you have to sell like you will do the exact same thing your parents did unless you self-reflect and look at them. So take the best traits and things from your parents, the things that you love about them and apply them to your life and the things that you didn't. If you do not say, you know, like my dad spent too much time in a lazy boy and I want to spend more time in the yard with my kids before long, you will find yourself sitting in that lazy boy for, you know what I'm saying? You will just do it out of, out of nature. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just generational subconscious programming. And most dads don't understand why they're doing the things they're doing. And I mean, j- anytime I jump into the coaching call, I mean, the first time is like, they're passing me the flashlight and I'm, I'm looking in the areas where I know the patterns are repeating. And, or even at Facebook group, someone will post something and I'll be like, who in your life early on took away permission for you to feel happiness when you go to Disney World? Because there usually was, and they were like, whoa. And it was like, oh yeah, it was my dad. He never really was happy. And if I did ever show it, he would get mad. And he couldn't figure out why he was like feeling stuck in Disney World when his family was supposed to be happy. He was feeling very uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, someone took away permission for you to feel that. And that it's it's so easy to just assume that we are independent because we feel we're full autonomous people, but at the same time, we're still conditioned with that uh, bad programming. So I made a post about this a little bit ago, and this is not just that you, not just like a post and a talking point, but something my wife and I truly try to do is we examine older people, right? Because um, we want to see, you know, how did they get to where they were? Why is that person so successful and living that life we want to live? And why is that person not to step to kind of put it in a better light? Imagine, that our uh, internal is the same as our outward physical. There are older people in their 80s that are like running marathons. There are 
Yeah, like the juicing. Yeah, thing. there are also older people in their 80s that are like hunchback and they like can't hardly move and they're or they, you know, what I mean, they have issues. Now, I know there are and I could get burned for this, but and there are ailments and there are things that are out of our control. But there's a lot that we can control. That person that is a lot of times you might have somebody years and years of bad physical posture can lead to by the time you're 80, it's irreversible now. You're stuck that way and you're almost crippled. And all you had to do was stand up straight in your 30s and 40s and create that habit, right? You just have the confidence to like be confident and stand and this, up straight. Because a lot of it is just you've emotionally yeah. been a hunch because you are and you just feel weak. And yeah. so therefore you accept a posture of weak. And I just did a podcast episode of my other podcast, The Business of Fatherhood. And I, I labeled it, man, I'm getting too old for this. And essentially, anytime you hear a dad say that, that is just you putting a bow on an excuse that, yeah, life is just getting too hard. I just got to just accept that 45 is like this. And it is just the biggest, and most men don't call each other. I feel like we just marinate it and, and just go all in and accept it. But man, does that that's my new BS radar is when a man says, I'm getting too old for this. I'm like, no, that's just what you've learned to accept is normal. And you get to choose what you accept is normal. And right now you've chosen to accept the lowest common denominator, which is, oh, I'm getting too old for this. Yeah, and, you, and you're right. Just like we have that outward physical posture, we have that internal posture, right? And um, so we look at a lot, like who do we, what type of people do we want to be at 80 years old? And we look at our internal posture and, okay, that old person that is really grumpy, they probably got there because at 30, they thought this way. And then they just slowly migrated down that path. And now that they'll never change. You know, you hear all the time, oh, they're just old. They'll never change. And it's true. They probably won't. But if they would have looked internally and self-reflected in their 30s, they could have changed and they'd be on a different path. You know, and so we look at everything through the eyes, like every decision we make the way we treat our kids, the way we treat our business, the way we run our household, every decision is, how's this going to affect 40-year-old Nate, 50, 60, 80-year-old Nate? How is Nate going to live to be 150 years old? How am I going to, what foods do I need to eat to make it there? What do I need to stay away from? No, I'm not perfect. I'll go buy a bottle of tequila on the weekend or so. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that we're so, we're not enjoying life and being rigid. We're still, but you got bumpers on it to at least understand that there's a common direction you want to have. And I have recently heard on another podcast that Native Americans have this way of thinking called seven generations, that when they try to make a decision within the, the tribe, they try to extrapolate how is this going to affect the next seven generations of people within the community. And I mean, I mean, most Americans barely can handle the next 10 minutes. So what a way to think. Thinking that would of be generational seven generations like you really understand like the choice of, I mean, the Amish have a little bit of that. I've heard that like they wait like 60, 70 years to see how it messes up the regular society before they even think about bringing it into their society. They wait for us to be the guinea pigs. And it is that idea of like watching and, and like, how will this truly affect? I mean, imagine if we waited even 20 years to really truly figure out whether Facebook was going to help people or hurt people. We probably would have found out like, oh, this is, this is bad juju. Um, if we had the same rig rigorous for vaccine testing as we do for new technology coming out of Facebook, we would probably have realized, yeah, this is going to be a massive addiction. We need to outlaw this, right? It's away. crazy. Yeah. And it's the nature of like free will and free market too, though, you know, and it, unfortunately, like our business is almost, I would, I turned my, I had, when I had my quarter life crisis, I should call it like a 
should call it like a 10th life crisis because I plan on living a long time. But, uh, you know, and and I came home from deployment and, um, you know, I, we kind of have a pre, uh, an OK relationship today. So I'm not going to like say anything, but there were definitely issues. And and I know you've we've I follow a lot of stuff. There's two sides to every story. And the further you get from a divorce or the further you get from something like that, the more you look at yourself and you're like, if I would have done this different, if I would have done, that's probably true. Uh, you could go all the way back to if I would have done this different, I wouldn't have never met that person. I wouldn't. Get, but so you can't live life that way. You just have to learn from the lessons. Right. But um, when I did that, I kind of cleansed from everything and got off. So it was one of those things like even you're you're like, I'm just going to turn off social. I don't want to see on this. Stuff. I don't want to be on it. I actually didn't. And it was a pretty enjoyable uh, time of life. I didn't turn it back on really until uh, the business side of things, because it's a great it's free advertising. It's great. It's, it's, yeah, like, I mean, it's marketing. What are it's you going to do? It's the primary tool. It's it's when you use it as a social drug or a, yeah. a medication, no different than alcohol to succumb a feeling or to really outsource the feeling like you post something hoping that people give you that feeling of oh, we love what you're doing right now, even though in deep down inside, you can't find the the love for it yourself. You just outsource it to other people in your life. Well, and also like what my brother refers to it as an echo chamber. So it it harvests your, you know, it sees what you like and what you don't like, and it gives you more of those endorphins to keep you hooked. And so like even politics, people are sharing all this, po like, you know, hateful politics or this, that, and the other. And Timmy's like, yeah, that's my brother. He's like, what difference are you making? Like, he's like, I don't want to see it unless they're calling me to say, hey, man, I just went down to City Hall. I went to the public meeting and I spoke this way and uh, I hope it makes an impact in it. And, and yeah, so that's like a doing like you actually versus sharing a meme about like so I've gone through and I've had to unfollow. I go through phases, but I've had to unfollow all the the because on one hand i agree with what he's saying and then on the other i'm like okay but there's people with the views opposing viewpoints that are much more louder than me and there's a belief that part of the reason I, we're in this is because the people who were quieter didn't say anything so how do we how do we not you know be submissive but still get our viewpoints heard and then here's the social so that's i think that and i think that leads to so many people on any viewpoint any decision being that you know it kind of bred that um, and, but, but ultimately they end up being echo chambers. Cause who are the people you friend, your friends and you friend people like you and this and every once in a while there's people with different, but we don't let our kids, um, you know, at least now I know my daughter, like I said, she goes back and forth, but, um, they don't play on our phones. They don't have their own YouTubes. They don't have their own. So we're kind of old school in that realm. Um, it amazes me that, you know, I think like at six years old, Again, I, I was on that John boat and now she's working a smart TV. So I'm like, that kind of blows your mind. Um, but that's the way it goes. So we're very, we monitor uh, and even cartoons. Like you got to pay attention to what cartoons your kids are watching. You can't just turn on Hulu and let them sit there. You've got to like, and there's been some shows that we've listened to and we've decided like, you know what, we're not going to watch that show anymore. Um, and that's not easy. It's like, you know, it's not easy to do. Um, but it's funny, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons, and we kind of let them watch Simpsons over other stuff <laughs> that's like worse yeah, I now. I right? wasn't <laughs> one of the favorite shows that I could watch growing up either. So, man. And, and you talk when you talk about that story, you talk about almost this idea of understanding that what your kids see helps shape them, who they are, what they believe, and 
what I ultimately kind of use my, I've had, a, it took a long time of this last year to really get to this, especially with all the craziness that's been going on throughout the year. You really have to get to the place and remember that no matter what comes through your phone, no matter what comes through the TV, you have full control to create your own happiness. Like, can you get to the place where you realize that whether people are screaming at each other in Washington, D.C. or screaming at each other on Fox News, you could still make a million dollars today. And none of that actually mattered. And when you realize that potential to like, just like it matters because like it does affect our future. But when you realize your choice to believe it and acknowledge it and bring it into your life is your choice and you still have a choice to not, and you can still listen to it, but you still have to have that frame. Like I am still a sovereign human being and understand even teaching your kids that like what they see, like Jojo is a good example where Jojo looks like this really cool influencer. And I've had conversations with my daughter because she's seen a few videos where like they hate Jojo and she gets really upset. Like, why would someone hate Jojo is what her first thought. And I'm like, well, imagine in her world where everybody looks up to her and imagine how much pressure that she feels to have this perfect life and just having those conversations like that is uh, a, a, an idea that you have to help coach your kids through. And a lot of what you just hit on is just using these things as conversations so that you are the first voice that they hear on the topic. And they may not believe you. They might even change their mind later on. But the most important part as a dad is when there is a sensitive topic that you are the first voice that she hears what you perceive the truth is. And then she can grow and kind of learn and figure out for her own. But a lot of dads do not make sure, even dating, if you don't go to sit down and have your kids, the birds and the bees conversation, they're going to hear about it from someone on the bus. And it's not going to be the version that you believe in or want them to hear. And it's going to be too late. And they are going to have this. And it's going to be that's something that's how like teen pregnancy. Oh, I didn't even know this. Well, did you ever have the conversation? Did you ever explain how it worked? And did you ever explain your viewpoint, your values as a family? Probably not. And if you didn't, you want like you're getting what you what your seeds you planted in which we're none in this case. Yeah. So and there's I there's all I really love what you said there. That's cool. I appreciate that. There's and there's all kinds of man, it's uh there's all kinds of stats on like fatherless households and, and stuff. And I know it, it on one end it kind of gets buried as like, oh no, that's just but you know, it's okay to be the parent and it's okay to be a leader. And like, um, you know, I'm gonna get this. I've you know that I, I like that faith family fitness thing. I'm kind of like I look for things to kind of uh, I'm not a big acronym guy or that kind of thing, but I do look for little mottos or um, affirmations. I kind of believe in that. And one of the one of my favorite things, I drink a lot of Jack Daniels. Um, just I just like it. I don't know. I would go there and I would try to find like fancy whiskeys, but then I just always reverted. I was like, no, nah, this is the thing. So I have a glass. And this is part of why I think it's I get like kind of brand loyal, but part of it, I have a glass and it, it says every day we make it, we'll make it the best that we can. And um, I've touched on this before in other interviews. If you go to their website, you'll see that slogan. That's a Jack Daniels quote. Every day we make it, we'll make it the best we can. And, I'm, and maybe it's just such a maybe it's a shallow quote. But to me, it's really deep. It's, hey, no matter what the circumstances are. We're going to do our best. Hey, no matter what we're offered, what tools we have, what supplies we have, we're going to take those and we're going to deliver the best product. We're going to do our best. We're going to do our best every day, do our best every day. In fact, I like the slogan so much. I've been thinking about going to a print shop and we've got like this wall right by the house. I'm thinking about getting a kind of artsy like decal. Kind of Before put you put it on your wall, you probably should visit the distillery just to make sure 
that the brand matches the process and that the customer experience for the people visiting the distillery matches what you feel. So that way you don't put something on your wall and buy into this whole idea. And then someone, but you know, they, they use like low cheap yeah. labor, to ma- labor to make that whiskey. And they're like some of the worst employers in yeah. the Kentucky region. Um, and I recently went to the bourbon trail. So oh, I would okay. highly recommend yeah, just the whole bourbon trail experience. Cause just you learn more about it than you ever yeah. thought was possible. Patience. Like I did three episodes on business of fatherhood on how bourbon relates to fatherhood. Cause there was so much about it of that was just like these little things. I'm just like blown away. that They stack 20,000 barrels in these rick houses and sit on them for five years before they ever get a taste of what they actually produced. Like mind boggling type stuff. Nate, this interview has been absolutely incredible. I loved our conversation because we went in so many good different areas. Yeah. So if we were to wrap it up, what is your best piece of advice? And if anything, I think I would challenge you. What's your best piece of advice for a dad that just had a newborn 10 days ago? Oh, my gosh. Best best piece of advice for a dad who just had a newborn 10 days ago. You don't have to stop being you, but you really got to you really got to empathize and you really got to pour into every member of the of the family. If you have other kids, you got to continue to love on them. You really got to love on your wife and you got to do it unconditionally without expecting anything in return. It's a challenging time. The baby raising years are a challenge. You're going to get more out of your role as a father than you're going to get out of your role as a husband. But as long as you're pouring into those father moments, then when the time comes, you'll be rewarded so much more as a husband later on. So don't lose faith in your marriage, in your household and everything else, because it's going to be chaos and you're going to be tired. And so just pour, continue to pour in and be that leader that loves on every member of the family. I love that. And it's it's very similar to the advice that I always tell a dad that newborn, they just post their picture and they always ask for advice. And I always be like, anchor yourself in the love that you felt when you looked your wife in the eyes when your baby was born. And remember that love and the hard times because the next five years are going to be hard and you're going to want to remember that love and joy you felt when you created this ball of screaming energy. And it's going to be frustrating, but you're going to want to be like, we created this and I created out of this love that I have for this woman. And that's more important than anything that we might be arguing about or fighting about because it is just nonsense and it's usually just out of fit of motion yeah. and tiredness. Yeah. It's not re- retrospective what's really going on. So I love that advice. And I can't wait to keep checking in with you and see how what's going as the as the kids grow up. Are you done having kids? Are you officially calling it? Oh, quits? man, we kind of want like a break to like heal and rest. Um, but we do want to have more. These two are really close together. Um, the We didn't want to. We probably would have waited to begin with. But because the other one was getting so much older, we didn't want our daughter to feel like an aunt. You know what I mean? We wanted her to still feel like a daughter. So we were like, we got to get in it and we want them closer. Um, um, my wife still wants to have a daughter of her, uh, you know, together. And so we're going to, you know, I guess that's her limit. So if it's five, six, whatever. And so big part of that, I got to keep up, you know, the energy, the business and uh, pouring into her. So. And the one thing that I would put a nice uh, candle and uh, icing on top of cake for that, what you just said is, remembering that what we do on this earth is important, but what we leave behind is 10 times more important. And don't lose sight of what we're building as men to forget that what really is important, which is your family, whether you have five, six, four kids, it doesn't matter that what you do and create is important and it does provide. But at the same time, anchoring yourself in your family, anchoring yourself in those early memories, because those every 50 year old that I've ever met has always wanted those first years, zero to 10 back. And it's one of the reasons why I rewired my life as a stay-at-home dad because I'm like, I'm never going to wish 10 years from now that I went back to getting a job. 
And if anything, I'm going to kick myself in the ass for thinking like that and punch myself in the face for even letting that thought get oxygen. So I'm always anchoring myself like right now, I just want to be dead and I can do big things when they don't really care about and they've left the house and reframing a lot of big things that I've wanted to do, but they're not the tired time is it's just not the right season. I'm in a season where dad is a priority and I'm that's the season I'm going all in. That's on. super good. Super good, man. Well, thanks again, Ben, for uh, having me on here. Enjoy chatting. Thank you, Nate. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope that it gave you the wisdom that you needed to go into this week to understand maybe where you could make some changes, where you can make some changes in the next upcoming year. We're almost up to the halfway point of the year. How do you want to finish the year strong? Hopefully, Nate gave you some different ideas, maybe what you could start doing, what you could stop doing, and what you could keep doing within your life to really figure it out. So my big takeaway of this episode is really saying to yourself that if family is something you value, if you listen to this podcast and you buy into this mission, that family should be something that you put a hard forward effort in to creating it at the center of your life. What I loved about Nate is he's taken what he's learned growing up, applied from the military, and applied it in a way that helped him figure out really how he could create a life with family at the center, but still be able to provide. This is something I don't think we talk enough about in society, and I commend Nate for having the courage to redesign his life in a way with family at the center that he could have that time, have that connection, have that shared purpose with his wife, and be able to do something like that together. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. I don't think we give ourselves enough permission, and I think we follow one too many rules of what society tells us we can and can't do. And we need to start breaking those rules and realizing that the only reason those rules are exist is because some other person put them in place and you have the choice every single day to choose which rules of life that you want to apply, which ones you don't, which ones you want to write on your own and really figure out how to carve your own destiny and legacy for your family. I hope you have an amazing week and I'll be back again with you on Friday.